Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Hartnell. Welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Friday, and I'm Dave DeFore, and that means it's Nerder. She wrote, joining me as they do each and every week, Seth and Mo. What's up, guys? We, I want to jump in because we're, we're, we have a lot to cover, and I know you guys have to get back to covering the EuroLeague Final Four. Uh, you covered game one this morning. How was it? I mean, it was good. Olympiacos with a massive uh, one, two, three punch combo. At the, the uh, start of the second half, going on a 27-2 run for the entire third quarter, blew that game open. One of the great zero-point performances uh, you'll ever see by by uh, Olympiakos' point guard, Thomas Walkup, who just, they struggled to create anything in the first half, but then he just carved Monaco's defense up with his penetration and passing in the second half and really was a, a huge key to the game, despite let- taking zero shots. Seth, don't let Jokic hear that because then he might just go, oh, really? And try to go hold my beer. It's like the, the game that Larry Bird decided to play left-handed. Yeah. Oh, I can't shoot, but I have to dominate. Well, let me see what I can do. Well, don't forget, guys, you can catch them over at playback.tv on the Nerder stream. They're doing the EuroLeague games all weekend. They've obviously been doing playoff games all playoffs. And you can catch the Athletic NBA show doing the Daily Ding Every single night, except for Friday and Saturday, because, you know, got to take the weekends off. But we're doing the Daily Ding over on the Athletic NBA Show YouTube channel and sportsbusinessclassroom.com. Go and check it out. The live immersive experience is filling up fast, but we're still taking applicants. So go check out sportsbusinessclassroom.com when you get a chance. Guys, this show is going to be extremely reactionary. This is how the playoffs work. And in particular, we're going to react to Michael Malone's post-game comments uh, for most of the show. This guy has just come out with a flamethrower. He has the full attention of the national media covering the Lakers, obviously, as we all have to. I mean, it's part of the job, and they happen to be a really good team and have one of the greatest players of all time. So a lot of attention there. And Michael Malone is absolutely coming out throwing haymakers. I want to point out this this one thing that he said because it has really ruffled some feathers. This is Michael Malone speaking. You win game one of the playoffs, and all everybody talked about was the Lakers. Let's be honest. That was the national narrative. The Lakers were fine. They were down 1-0, but they figured something out. No one talked about the, that Nikola had a historic performance. He got 13 triple-doubles now. Third all-time. What he's doing is just incredible. But the narrative wasn't about the Nuggets. The narrative wasn't about Nikola. The narrative is about the Lakers and their adjustments. So you put that in your pipe. You smoke it. You come back, and you know what? We're going to go up 2-0. I'm a fan of that, guys. Yeah, I think it's a fair uh, comment from him. I think this is a... uh... You know, people that listen, a lot of the reaction behind that has been like, oh, he's insecure. The Nuggets are insecure, all that stuff. Yeah, because we've done this to them all season long. They've been they were besides the 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 basically the number one team in the Western Conference all year. And that that blip in the 
end of the season where they, they, they played poor basketball and we all kind of assumed that was weakness. Uh, it was just them kind of just not playing hard. We've just all year. Well, they can't win it. They're not going to win it. They're not going to, it. it's the Lakers are doing it. The, the warriors, the Suns, and I'm guilty of it too. You, you know, I last week's pod, I, I had kind of had the Mia Copa. Like I was guilty too, like of that. And like, so I understand where he's coming from in that regard. And then just the fascination that we have with the Lakers, you know, it, it part plays into it where Rui Hachimura got more pub than Nikola Jokic. Like, what are we doing here? Well, the pregame interview was with Rui Hachimura, which, by the way, he's a great story and he's had a fantastic playoffs, had a great game, too. No, this is not a knock on Rui Hachimura, but it is, Seth, kind of just the way things work, right? Like, I mean, the Lakers are the story here. And maybe, like, I'm mostly okay with that, but I do like Michael Malone kind of pointing out that you have another all-time great here, too. The the equivalent would be if the Game 3 pregame interview was with Bruce Brown. Right. And there's just, like, none chance of that happening. And it's it's sort of... Uh, and again, as Mo said, this is not in any way a shot at Rui Hachimura. It's been good all playoffs, great in the first two games of the series. Uh, was I, I possibly the best player on the floor in the first half last night? So you know, credit to him. Like it's not 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 saying that that he is he, like they're making up that he's playing well. It's just like what are we talking about here? Like the the Lakers made an adjustment that gave one interesting, and they ultimately lost. And, and why does that why is that being made to feel like a defeat for the Nuggets? And and again, it's it's as Mo was saying, like all year it's just like, yeah, well, the Nuggets won't win it, so this team, so the Suns, so the Warriors, so the the Clippers if they get healthy. Um the the Lakers once they make trades. And we we we've kind of, you know, all season, frankly, have been a little disrespectful to to Denver and how good they are, how good Nikola Jokic is, how people are just discovering the two-time MVP is an all-time great player. Um, so I, I guess if all this sounds like I'm here for what Mike Malone is selling right now, I am absolutely here for what Mike Malone, Michael Malone is selling right now. And it's it's stuff that uh, I, too, am saying, but I don't have quite the microphone that he does. So go ahead and cook. I mean, it, look, there is a, a certain amount of, like, just reality the Denver Nuggets are not a marquee franchise in the league. Like, I understand they're not getting a ton of national games because they don't have as many fans. Like, there's a lot of reasons why they don't get the coverage. And our good friend Adam Mares over at DNVR has really probably the best Denver Nuggets coverage anywhere, um, frankly. And that sort of came out of the lack of Nuggets coverage, e even locally. I mean, it's a Broncos town. So it starts at home, too. And we've been guilty of this the last couple of years, patting him on the head. I mean, but they made a conference finals not that long ago. I mean, this is not like it's their first trip to the playoffs, even. This is a team that's been there. And under Michael Malone, when healthy, I mean, they get better every single year. This is like a natural progression. So, you know, it it's easy to recognize. But also, I understand why they can feel that way. Yeah, but it's also like we don't allow the Nuggets to have any excuses for the past two years of the playoffs. Like we we constantly go, well, the last two years of the playoffs have been, you know, uh, failures for them. Really? They lost Jamal Murray for the past two years of the playoffs. Last year, they had dudes like Facundo Campazzo playing for them and things like that. Like we're really going to hold that against the Nuggets that they haven't been healthy, but we don't hold it against the Clippers. 
right? When they're not healthy or anything like that, it's that ridiculous kind of double standard stuff that we play with that. And it's, you, you know, the, the narrative kind of even going into the season, well, the nuggets have to do it this year. Well, they're fucking doing it now. And let's give them the respect now that they're doing it, that they've made it to the conference finals. They're up 2-0 now. And I think that's where this kind of stems from. And I think those are the things that we got to kind of focus on here a little bit and we get away from, like, you know, just what makes them so special. And I think some of it also is on the league. Got to do a better job marketing them. And, yes, this is probably the first time, like, casual fans are getting to know Nikola Jokic. So, you know, you can – I, I thought Jalen Rose's comments were incredibly stupid when he's like, he's a superstar now, but it's also makes some sense in the sense of like, he's on the spotlight when everybody's watching. And I think that matters to a degree, but that's on the league. They got to do a better job marketing these guys and this team. And I think that's an important aspect that we're just missing across the board with that. So like I'm here for Malone, do it. I don't even give a shit that Laker fans are going to cry because let's just be honest. You should be crying that your team's down Oh two more than worried about what Michael Malone is saying. And honestly, like it's a reality of it. And a coach fighting for his team to get respect is going to get respect on my book in my book. I mean, to, to Laker fans, I I, uh, remember the documentary on the university of Miami football, Uh, shout out to Bruce Brown again. Uh, as one of the receivers from those those teams, like you don't want me to dance, don't let me score. You don't want Mike Mo- Michael Malone to to talk about how the Nuggets are up to zero, two zero. Don't let him go up two zero and you know w- win games. And then that's so like to to the victors go the spoils. And uh, and, and uh, again, glad to hear it. How much of the Jokic thing is the outsourcing of marketing? You know, the NBA like markets the good teams, and they haven't won a title yet, but like. He doesn't have a Nike deal that I know of, right? Like he doesn't have like a signature shoe. And I know centers aren't going to sell shoes anyway, but it, it, is that part of this? Part of it is Jokic is more like Mike Trout than than anything <laughs> yeah, else right. where he, he doesn't give a shit about horses. He, yeah, exactly. If you offered a sponsorship deal for his horses, he might be more interested than a sponsorship deal for himself. And I think that's kind of some of it is Jokic. But I think also like Dave, you said like, oh, they haven't won a title. The Boston Celtics, this iteration hasn't won a, a, a title. They've gone to the finals, the sure, Celtics. but like, but like, we're gonna go nuts about them, right? And and all of those things, we go we go completely ballistic. And I think it's just one of those things. I think the NBA has to do a better job of marketing these guys so that everybody sees it across the league. Of like, yo, this dude's incredible to watch. Yeah, Seth and I, we just watched this. The dude with uh, uh, Wallop with zero shots basically dominate a game that's what Jokic does and he scores and he dominates at every level like it's impressive and I just think we need more of that but we got to move on man we got more important stuff let's talk talk about about. the games but maybe there's like an anti-ABA bias or something by the way um Jokic does have some commercials in Serbia and I highly recommend going and finding those they're on YouTube just google them they're really funny um Jokic is a super funny guy. So like it comes across in those commercials. Can I, can I ask a question about this? Well, as sure. we're moving on is I wonder how long was it into Tim Duncan's career before he kind of was like, Oh yeah, just kind of his greatness is just sort of unspoken. I don't, I feel like it, it, it took a little bit because in some ways, like there aren't like one-to-one comparisons, but just in terms of the level of kind of self-promotion, and this isn't to say like, you know, 
I don't think like Embiid self-promoting is fake in any way. I just think no. that's he's kind of an ebullient personality. Um, and so I just wonder. It, it did took a while for Tim Duncan. Also, it's like a certain amount of yeah, we won titles with that every year. Th- that's not a, a, a one-to-one because Duncan came in as the number one pick. Everybody knew he was going to be the number one pick as a freshman. Yep. And he stayed four years in college. So I think that's not really a one-to-one. Whereas Jokic, who goes 41 in the draft during a Taco Bell commercial, um, you know, like there's just not a, uh, uh, the limelight is not going to be shown to him in that way. You, Duncan came in with the expectations of he's going to be great. And that led to that. You know what I mean? Like teams that lost that lottery were reacting the way teams lost the web Yama lottery, you know, knowing that they lost a, a possible generational guy. So I think that's kind of the, the difference in that sense. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Yeah. Okay. Uh, back to more comments from Michael Malone, guys. He had a great line, and it kind of sums up the first two games of this series. Specialists don't play in the playoffs. And... I think that in in games one and two, we we kind of saw quite a bit of that, guys. The lineup I'm, changes that the Lakers have made, Mo. You you've got the argument that they're losing in pregame. I mean, first off, that comment isn't just the first two games. That's just the that that's describes the, the entire the playoffs. That's the playoffs. That's a sixteen player. 16 game player versus an 82 game player. And it goes back to like, you need to be a two way player in the NBA to a degree, or your one way better be so fucking amazing that you can't, that you could survive the other way. I think the, uh, the, the comment about the Lakers just kind of the Lakers are searching in their starting lineups. I didn't like their starting game one and starting Schroeder right away. Cause that's a card you can play later. Like see how it starts out. And then, you don't stay with it for game two and you go back to your original starting lineup. So it's like, you're kind of signaling to the nuggets right away. Hey, we're running out of questions. We're playing a lot of cards early and we haven't figured out the right hand to play at this point. And I think that's an important uh, important aspect there. I I do think it also should be noted that uh, as we're just celebrating, you know, Mike Mullen for, for taking his shots. That that quote was in 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 response, I believe, to a question about Jamal Murray having Jamal Murray. That's right. Yeah. So it's so it it, it well, it sounds like a he's, he has taken shots across the bow of D'Angelo Russell. That was not actually the intent of that, though it it works as such. Yeah, but Jamal Murray got cooked in game one, and Mo, you know, 
you you said this before. I mean, the biggest difference between game one and game two, Jamal Murray, w- was that he actually fought when he got stuck on LeBron. I mean, he he gave it up in game one, he, but he actually tried and and LeBron hit a hard like a couple of hard shots in I game two in the second that half. weren't difficult. I, second I, half for sure. I, I don't even think he fought that hard, to be honest with you. I think LeBron just took a, a number of bad shots and didn't force the issue on him. And I don't think the Lakers did a smart, did a good job of how they attacked Murray to how they got Murray into switches and then got him, tried to get him onto LeBron. I think there's a lot of those things with that. I don't think Murray actually fought hard really in that game. He just got away with it. And just the pure fact, he literally caught fire in the fourth quarter. No, he might still be smoking. Like he, he still might be like patting out flames right now. He was so damn hot in the fourth quarter. You couldn't take him out, but you have to go look at that game. That third quarter run that the Nuggets made to get back into this game when taking, you know, kind of make it a game was with Murray on the bench. And I think that goes to what Michael Malone is saying of like, yeah, you got to be able to play defense. And I think that changed the game for the Nuggets. And then just by circumstances, he got completely hot at the right time. And then it it, it avoided, it, it covered up his defensive flaws in that area. But, um, that's a that's a big line. Specialists don't play in the playoffs because we've seen it across the board. You know, it, I'm watching this game last night, and you know, this is a crazy thing to say, but I'm thinking to myself, man, Murray's been so bad, and Bruce Brown's been so good. Do you ride Bruce Brown down the stretch and maybe bench Murray and go more defensive and have KCP, uh, you know, uh, with Gordon and Michael Porter Jr.? That's how good Bruce Brown has been, especially getting downhill when D'Angelo Russell's in the game. Speaking of issues, D'Angelo Russell and Jared Vanderbilt are kind of a problem for the Lakers. This is goes back to the specialist comment. And again, this is not who Michael Malone meant, but this is the way I'm taking it. Um, having guys who can only play one way. I mean, Vanderbilt gives the Nuggets a break on offense. And I mean, D'Lo is just a sitting duck. So, I mean, what do you guys think the Lakers do game three with with those minutes i mean they've got to figure out a way dennis schroeder's been really great but how long can you ride him with the the effort that he's putting out on defense i think that's that that's an interesting question but that also i think is sort of mo has been making the point that the lakers kind of pre-adjusting with their starting lineup and and almost seeding the ground to denver i i don't totally agree i think they're just making the wrong adjustments um and I, that sounds bad because like I don't want to be like adjustment coaching adjustment Twitter guy. But uh, you know, on one hand, there's the danger you don't start D'Angelo Russell, you lose him. Okay, well, if you ride with him, you lose games because of him. So which which do you care? Like Schroeder's got to play. Schroeder like Schroeder on Murray is is like any other matchup, and they were just getting cooked. Like part of the run, uh, like uh, the big fourth quarter run. I, perhaps the biggest shot, and I thought wasn't actually Murray. It was uh, Michael Porter Jr. And he gets an open three because LeBron has to help on Murray because D'Angelo Russell gets hung up on the screen. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm going to push back on that stuff there. First with the D'Angelo Russell, it's not about you might actually lose him. There is a possibility D'Angelo Russell starts out a game and knocks four threes down. That's like it's it. a legitimate thing. It's yeah. not even it's not even anything sensible. It's you have to give him a run to see what we're getting. He is so inconsistent as a player, but there are times where he streaky as hell and he gets hot all of a sudden. 
I don't think you can do that with him coming off the bench. And I think that's why you have to kind of start him to just see what you have. Schroeder should play more minutes than him. Yeah. Well, and their I would best get- five, their best five, Mo, is uh, Schroeder, Reeves, uh, Rui, LeBron, and AD. And I think, I mean, In that's, this series, I think at least. Yeah. 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 So but- that, that should be majority of minutes. Right. And, and it's not always about who starts. It's who you're closing with. You know, and I think that's more what I'm concerned about in that sense. So, like, I actually think the Lakers have to start D'Angelo for that reason. And on that play you're talking about, Seth, that's actually just a death knell play that the <laughs> the Nuggets run. Like, it's just not yeah. fair. It's a it's it's a fucked up play in a good way for the Nuggets. It's Jokic holding the ball at the high post. You can't help off of that screen. You know, and 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 when Murray sets the screen, and and or uh, when Porter sets the screen, and D'Angelo Russell's got to fight over the top, even if he gets around the screen, LeBron still has to take a step or two back because he's got to at least help on that play for a second before getting to Murray. And then Jokic with the live dribble, you can't jump off of Jokic it's to go to. Anything. It's it's a torture chamber play. It's an entirely different play when it's Aaron Gordon coming off of that screen, right? Like then you're just like, let him shoot. But it's when it's MPJ, it's different. And it was a huge shot. And it's an unbelievable play. It's a, it's one that I would imagine keeps the Lakers staff up at night with like, how do we defend this play? Because it's an impossible one to defend. So I don't know if even if Schroeder's in it, uh, you know, I, I still don't think he, he you still have to help on that Murray play for a second. And LeBron's going to be late. And let's not also act like LeBron's been all that sharp on his timing defensively in, in, in on those things. Although he, I thought some of his pick and roll defense was pretty good. His hands were super active last night, but I think it's because his legs didn't want to be. I think know? I think that I also think that you know we we talked about and this is where the playoffs are such a like ball that everything kind of plays together. One thing plays into another. Like we were talking about uh, Murray getting away with getting switched onto LeBron. A lot of that in the fourth quarter was LeBron expended so much energy defensively, and he was great defensively in the third quarter. He expended so much energy defensively because he's holding up against Jokic trying to back down. He's he's rotating. He's getting steals. He's digging down, stripping the ball away from, from players. And then fourth quarter, he didn't have the legs anymore because he's 38. Like even, the, even if he's LeBron, he's 38. And this is, you know, in some ways the Lakers, at least at altitude in Denver, stretched a little thin. And like how much can you ask him to do at this point in his career? When he was 28, go all day. But uh, – well, let me ask point. you. Okay, listen, it's LeBron James. You're you're not saying he should be deferring to anyone. But Austin Reeves had a lot of success creating off the dribble. Like maybe that was a way to go and you allow LeBron to do a little bit more secondary. Like I I just I feel like you could save his legs a little bit and, and maybe allow him to to load up. This was Mo's point earlier about not attacking Murray smartly is when it's been, when it's been Murray, when Murray is matched up on Reeves and that's been the screen for LeBron, it's been absolute lunch meat. And part of like the the downside of, of Schroeder being in the game is you put Murray on Schroeder and it's not quite the same level of threat. And Mo, I think you, the point you're making is you do some pre pre preceding action to get that switch. So first Reeves get gets on to Reeves then you put him in the action well and also with the cross matching going on I don't know if you guys noticed it I mean Jamal Murray's been getting stuck on LeBron a lot just to start possessions I mean they're not being yep. super aggressive pre-switching uh, to, to get to their matchups or anything so I would if I was the Lakers I'd be looking to take advantage of that 
instead think, of slowing up. But I think also that's on LeBron to take advantage of that. In game three, or excuse game three, Jesus, I'm way ahead of time. Uh, game one, you know, down three with about a minute left, LeBron gets a rebound and in transition has Murray matched up in front of him and doesn't do anything with it and pulls up for a three at the top of the arc. Like, it's just like, no, dude, like you have Murray on you. You're down three. There's a lot of time left. You need to drive right there. You need to go and attack. That's the matchup you've been killing. You've been yeah. killing. You got what you wanted. And you know they're going to help when you drive. There might be a kickout three. And it's like the, there's a passivity with LeBron. And some of it's probably fatigue. And 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 listen, I know the mile high thing. I know the win. Believe me, I've I've been there. I've played games there. Um, what or I didn't play the other the guys played, but I <laughs> yeah. was a video guy there for that. So I understand the 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 issue with that. I'm not giving him that excuse. You got to go do it. It's hard. So it's fucking winning a championship. You got to do the hard shit. And that's the stuff there. The passivity from LeBron in that sense was, was the thing there where I was like, man, like you're just going to pull up for a three right there. The three threes that he took in the fourth quarter of this game, game two were terrible shots. Were terrible shots. They might be fatigue related, but don't take those shots and give it to somebody else, create for somebody else. But it was, or, or like you're saying, Dave, defer to Reeves. Like it was just, it was a tough watch right there in watching LeBron in those games and those plays in particular. And speaking of, I want to bounce to another. If, if I'm the Lakers and I'm watching this game back, I'm watching the first half of that game and I'm kicking myself because the Nuggets were awful in the first half of that game. And the only reason they were still in the game, by and large, was Lakers' terrible transition defense. And that's start point one of that, and this is something that was the case in game one as well, is Anthony Davis, who is your interior protector. Like, essentially what's happening a lot of these times is Denver's getting a rebound, getting a steal, inbounding the ball off a make, pushing the ball down the floor, and somebody is going right at a Laker perimeter player, goes right through him to the rim, lays it in. Now you can say, okay, Russell or Reeves or Schroeder has to put up more resistance. But also that's what Anthony Davis is there for. And Anthony Davis is in a trot back to the top of top of the, the arc. And it's not just, you know, there's not even plays where he's, you know, oh, well, Jokic is going to shoot a trail three. He's guarding Jeff Green. He's guarding Aaron Gordon in transition. And he's sauntering to the, to the top of the – and it's a little bit on LeBron too. LeBron is like sees a guy coming and kind of is just like, ah, shit, he beat me there. I'm so layup. I mean, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Seth, because I happen to have made a one more thing on the Lakers transition defense. And it's not just even that. They're breaking just the basic transition defense rules. They're not stopping the ball in transition in both games. Games one. I had so many goddamn clips. I had to spend an hour just whittling it down to, okay, which ones do I want to show? I could do like another 10 minutes just on that. But they're not stopping the ball in transition. The Bruce Brown at least two coast to coast drives. Line drives Jeff green yesterday with a, 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 a big dunk with the baseline drive. They're not getting any floor balance. Jamal Murray got an easy leak out because D'Angelo Russell doesn't care to get back when Austin Reeves goes up for a shot. It's, you know, when you're talking about Anthony Davis, Seth, there's a rule in transition defense and it, it, not rule, I guess, but like Pat Riley used to have a drill. Whereas about your first three steps in transition defense, those are your most important steps in transition defense. I'm telling you, watch AD in transition defense. When the guys, when the shot goes up and the Nuggets have a rebound, his first three steps are incredibly slow and puts him behind the play. Like their transition defense has been so god awful, and it's been bad all season. 
But if they could just, these games have been so close that if they could just find a way to just play better transition defense three more times in a game, they're probably in a position to win those games at the very end. And I think that's just a massive one right there for them that they got to be looking at and going like, God damn, guys, we can't get back. They stopped crashing the offensive glass and still gave up transition def- uh, buckets. I, I mean, it's, it's pretty pitiful. I love that you hit the bullet point that I had next just organically. That was perfect. Um, now, let's swing it to the Nuggets because the, the Nuggets have not been perfect here. Um, Jokic basically has, uh, but nobody I else. don't agree with that. I don't I agree. agree I thought that. he was bad yeah. yesterday. Yeah, he wasn't great. <laughs> but um, they have... They have an Aaron Gordon problem offensively and he doesn't want to touch the ball. And that is a, that's a big issue. Jamal Murray completely looking him off when he's just wide open by himself. Now that says a lot about Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray is trying to get himself going at the time, but it also tells you that his teammates are kind of losing some confidence there because he will not shoot. Uh, If he's not going to shoot, he just can't be on the court. And you run into like I, game three, like we'll see what happens, but I, I think he's going to be left even more on an Island. He doesn't want to shoot. You, you take it. You, you take a, uh, they had, there was one play. I think I thought they did it. Well, one play in game two. And I think Mo, Mo and I are both not a fan of like Gordon just hanging out in the dunker spot. Uh, if, if oh. AD is, if AD is not the guy guarding Jokic, let's right. help. But there was one play where instead of just hanging out in the dunker spot, he went and set the hammer screen for MPJ. AD had to switch out on him. And then you ended up with Austin Reeves on Gordon. And Gordon, hard right-hand drive, Euro step through his chest dunk. And I think you can take a page almost out of the Warriors book uh, where Draymond doesn't always look to score. But you know what Draymond looks to do? He will sprint with the ball, without the ball, right at a shooter, set a crushing screen. Right. And now you have no help on that screen. And that's... And that was the one time that Denver did that. I think that doing some of that because Aaron, like, okay, Aaron Gordon is not the playmaker, is not the ball handler that Draymond Green is, but he is a good enough playmaker, a good enough ball handler, plays well enough on the roll. And if he gets if he gets his shoulder into a guy, and he's done this several times across the series, where if he's got a smaller guy, and sometimes even if he's got LeBron on him, gets his shoulder into the into him, Euro step dunk. Like you get him the ball in those spots, he can be very effective. And I think that they can just by letting him set screens and then play on the move instead of just like standing and trying to draw Davis away from the basket by spacing. I think that's an adjustment that they, 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 they need to figure out how to get to work. Let me ask this question. Who are you playing instead of him? It would be Bruce Brown or you, you'd be downgrading in size and that, be, that's that, the so, one issue. No, I mean, I think they're going it, it, to, it's actually going to be Jeff green. And you think the Lakers are going to fucking guard Jeff green. Well, Jeff like, Green though can stick a corner three, and, and I'm not saying that that's can the, he. He's not shooting it that well. Like, yeah, how many how many does he have to make before AD like stops guards him? That's the, yeah. like, that's gonna it's, be the it's, thing. It's, it's it's so it's like you know when everybody's like, oh, space the floor, space the floor. The Lakers aren't. They're rather gonna have Jeff Green shoot corner threes than Jokic or Murray or Porter go like in that sense. And then they're giving up stuff defensively. And then they're giving up stuff also in transition. Although I literally just talked up Jeff Green's transition um, dunk. But I think what the, the stuff we do like from Gordon is the early rim runs and yeah. those types of things. And grab and goes. Yeah. And I think those are the stuff you're kind of losing in that sense. Yeah. I think they can move him around in different areas and, 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 kind of play with it a bit and keep him out of the dunker spot. But I just don't think they have a viable guy 
that I would be like, okay, this is obviously this guy should be playing over the other guy. And I think this is something that fans, media, pundits, we all have to kind of look at it when we always say they can't play this guy. Cool. Who's the next guy? We never say who the next guy is. <laughs> and it's and it's but the difference here's a, between here's they the can't go go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's not the it, it's 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 not in in and especially with a good versatile player. Aaron Gordon yeah. is a good it's not versatile that he player. Play. It's not you can't play. It's you can't you can't they, they shouldn't play him that way. Right. Like they they did go to one of their pet actions. I think it was right at the start of the uh it's an ATO in the third quarter, maybe? Or no, the second quarter where they went to one of their pet actions, which is kind of a a snug pick and roll with Gordon setting a, a ball screen for Jokic into a lob. And like LeBron did a nice job sussing it out. Right. But maybe you do that. Like maybe, maybe you just give a different look. So it's not just AD helping up from the dunker spot to standing right at the rim, waiting to, you know, so excited he knocks yeah, out, knocks out. Yeah, well, wait, here's, yeah, wait, here's wait. my thing. Look, when, when they switched AD onto him, you know, you bring AD up to the, into the, Ball screen, like just do a Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon pick and roll, you know, get the switch that you want. Hope Jamal will attack. But the other thing is you're just pulling AD up, hanging out in the dunker spot. You let him float around and he's not even playing center field. He's playing free safety. That's the thing. He's able to cover so much ground that you're essentially, he was essentially double teaming Jokic while shutting off the weak side. I mean, it, it's, it was, it was a good defensive move by, by the Lakers, but to me, that was the easy solution. Just start getting Aaron Gordon involved in the in the action on the ball. And that only works if Rui Hachimura and LeBron can continue to hold up against Jokic, right? Like, that's that's kind of the other aspect of it, too. And I think you could have more movement along the weak side and other things and open up other opportunities. So, like, I don't know, Mike Malone's, Michael Malone, excuse me, is a good coach. And I, I think, you know, like, he'll, he'll find ways to adjust off of that stuff. But I just don't think the answer is don't play Gordon. I think it's move him around a little bit. And and just to, to hammer the point, Jeff Green shooting 25% from three in the playoffs. <laughs> like I'm just saying, Gordon's actually shooting 32% from three. They're not going to guard Jeff Green on the perimeter. Nor I really want they. Gordon to shoot. I really yeah. want Gordon to just take the shots. Like they're open. They're coming in the, like, in the flow of the offense. Just shoot them. You have one of the best offensive rebounders uh, in the league inside just ready to play the tip drill all day long he Jokic gets his hand on every single offensive rebound he goes for um just get the ball up there I think the uh, uh another person that I think we we want to see just shoot and he pat he unusually passed up some shots and drove at times yesterday he's Michael Porter Jr and I think he hit some we talked about the third quarter run they made I think that was almost keyed by him. like a couple times he kind of they tried to catch and go and just like, no, you're 6'10, just rise up and shoot. And like hit that least, one wing three and transition. Yeah, the, where, yeah, where like, that, that was like the least set his feet were on a catch. He's like, oh, I'm going to go up with this one. He drained it. And then he was, he was pretty aggressive with his shot taking the rest of the game. And even when they didn't go in, it's just the, the fear of, of a, you know, a 6'10 guy who shoots high 40s from, on, from three, uh, just creates space in defensive movement. And so I, I think he's been, frankly, he's been a bit, been excellent this series. I thought all playoffs. He's been he's been excellent on both ends. And I think for the most part, certainly in the second half last night, it continued. Can we talk about him for a second? Just just yeah. real quick. I know we got to move on, but like talk about a dude who had a certain reputation going into this season, right? 
not a good defender. It's an effort thing, whatever. We can argue about that stuff. Only cares about shots. You know, uh, remember the stuff in the bubble when they were playing the Lakers? I need more shots. I wrote a story literally about that, you know, about him talking and complaining about getting more. I need more opportunities. I need more shots and whatnot. And look at him now. Defending his ass off, trying and competing on that end of the court, offensively playing it as a, a as a third option kind of role player, not hearing a peep about the complaints and whatnot and things like that. I don't necessarily like him too much off the court, but like the stuff he's done on the court, like you got to give him some love here. Like that's that's great development and that's great kind of maturity from him. And I think some of it's Malone, but I think you got to give a lot of credit to the kid himself. And I think uh, that kind of maturity and understanding right now, it's massive from where they were a few years ago. Like, this is huge. I never thought I'd see this from Porter. Yeah, I will say this. I, I don't think that his defensive issues uh, up until he figured it out, I don't think it was an effort thing. I actually felt like he he tried hard. Um, he's a good athlete. Obviously, he has a back issue. That, that's been a problem for him. But I think it really was more a speed of the game. It was because uh, he still gets lost off the ball. Like you, I'd rather have him on the ball than off the ball often. Um, but he's turned himself into a hell of a shot contester, like a jump shot contester. This guy, he blocks jumpers often. Like he's gotten really good at avoiding the landing space foul and using his length, which it, it just matters. Right. So it's not even that he's become some kind of like world-class defender. He's figured out how to use what he's got to to be more than adequate and i think he's actually in the series been really great and on offense letting the game come to him is is fine but one of the things i think the nuggets are missing and seth you know feel free to disagree with me is porter actually attacking you know we've seen jamal murray do it we've seen Jokic do it i think late in game one he started to do it but i think michael porter as an offensive weapon, it's just, it's being underutilized right now. And maybe on purpose, they haven't had to break it out, but that might be the big change in game three. Is what to do maybe, you mean by being attacked by attacking? Because I think Michael Porter jr. Can be more aggressive with the ball. I, so if you're saying more aggressive, like I am, if you give me any daylight, when I catch this, I'm going up. Yes. If you're talking about that kind of aggressive, yes. I agree. If you're talking about I don't about, mean like dribbling yeah. and going yeah, isolation. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not his game. But I mean like uh, he's passing up looks that are like they would be semi-contested for him. And I want him to shoot those because he can make them. Cuz he's and, 6'10 and shoots 40 some percent on yeah, contested threes. It, yeah, it's like take Clay Thompson, make him taller. Just like go for it. And, and so I think that might be something unlocking a little bit more aggression from him. And maybe this is a, a part of the game plan where it's just like, "Hey, we want to just take our time, go for great shot, not good shot. But um, I think Michael Porter's a guy who could be taking some of these sort of good looks rather than the great looks. And, and it, it would help relieve some of the pressure on the other guys. Everybody, oh, One thing everyone agrees on is more Michael Porter Jr. Um, well, I just wasn't going to – I wanted to move on. I, I right. don't agree with the defensive stuff, but okay. It's, what, oh, with the effort? About the, he, he thinks it was more effort. And it, it was definitely part effort. I'm sorry. Like I've watched yes. all of it. It's definitely part effort. Like I don't, I, it's, it's genuinely just not, there was, there was a time where he just didn't give a shit and wanted to shoot the fucking ball. And the massive, well, I mean, that, that's had, definitely is part of it. I mean, that's effort. That's effort. Yeah. You know? And I think that's part of it. Okay. You guys got anything else on this series or should we just wrap up the show? 
Oh, we, well, we're, we're not talking about the East at all. We're, we're, gotta, is, we're 40 minutes into the show. Guys. No, no, no. We got it. We got it. Right, go let, let's talk let's, about game one from, from the Eastern conference finals. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn sales navigator. LinkedIn sales navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 that's linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 for a 60 day free trial. Let LinkedIn sales navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 and get started. Um, here's kind of the quote so far. Uh, this is from Eric Spolstra on Jimmy Butler's impact. You can't quantify it. There's no analytic to it. Just the feeling of stability in the locker room. There's just a settling effect that is impossible to quantify. And Seth, this is sort of an analytics show. Um, do you guys have any analytics for intangibles? No, that's why they're intangibles. If we had analytics for them, they would be, they would be tangibles. But this is an important point is like a lot of times people say stay stuff like that and it's bullshit. Like our culture, blah, 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 blah. Our, this is such a leader, blah, 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 blah which it's, it's bullshit unless it isn't. And, you know, certain cases like, you know, okay, Damian Lillard, Tim Duncan being great leaders. I think that there's some, some pretty strong evidence of that. Jimmy Butler having a settling of playoff, Jimmy Butler specifically having a settling effect on his teammates. I think at this point is it's pretty hard to contest that as a, just the, the fact that you have guys who are playing quote unquote, above their head so consistently because they believe in what they're doing. And that, that kind of coming from, well, we got the best guy, so let's follow him and we'll get there. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to quantify that. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Like how does, how do you have, and maybe it's to some extent, this is probably Spolster being like a little bit modest. Oh, I think it's probably as much Spo as it is to be Butler. Like Gabe Vincent. No, I'm I I I am a playoff starting player. Caleb Martin, no, I am any shot I take, this is a great shot. I can go head to head with anybody, and it's and it's going to work. And just you know, you can look down and say, you know, you Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, like Kyle Lowry, still like Kyle Lowry coming off the bench. Yeah. Kyle yeah. Lowry coming off the bench. Kevin Love coming off the bench. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that that stands out to me. But you're right; it is a lot of Spo being modest. Because he, he mentioned stability. The Miami Heat as an organization, I mean, how long has Spo been the coach now? Was it, what, what was it, 2010? 2009? 14, 15 years. Yeah. Like, Pat Riley but, has been in Miami for 30 years almost at this point. Um, that's where the stability, like you have a culture because you have a program. And it's different than most teams in the NBA. Mo, I mean, you... You were part of the program in San Antonio. It's it's similar, same same vibes, right? I mean, setting culture 
and maintaining your culture is probably the hardest things you can do as an organization. And I think the beauty of it with the heat is, and we talk about this a, a ton, perfect alignment from the, the top all the way down. And I think it's, it's, and the expectations players know when they come in, this is what's expected of us. You're expected to work your ass off. You're expected to be tough. We don't give a shit about other things. You know, we don't, we don't care about that, that kind of attitude and things like that. Being able to maintain that culture for as long as they have, it's goddamn impressive, man. It's so tough to keep that up. Just ask the Spurs. It's hard. It's so hard to maintain that. And I think that's one of those, that's kind of the genius in this team in what they've done and and sort of like, and they found the perfect guy for them in Jimmy Butler. And I mean, just we're what? 14 months, 15 months removed from Jimmy and Spo literally wanting to fight on the court. Spo's turning to Jimmy going, you want to fight me? Like there's literally like that type of stuff. And there was nothing. There was no real, pro there was no suspension from the organization of Jimmy. They weren't turning around and ready to fire Spo. Like there's just a level of just like, this is who we are. I mean, they are, they are incredibly, they're insane as yes. an organization. Like they're, they're psychopathic in a way. And like, like let me put it, I was thinking about it when I was walking the dog the other day. I don't think I could ever work for the heat. I don't think I'm tough enough. Like it's that simple. Like they're they're their way. Like I like other things. I like going to the movies and like that would be looked as a black mark with them. And that's kind of how they approach things. And I think that's sort of the, the stuff there with their culture. And they try to find guys that are all about that. I, I would define their toughness a little bit. And about a month ago, a little over a month ago, I think Jason quick wrote a, a SPO feature in the athletic, which I think people should, uh, should go look. I think it's called like the Tao of Spo or something like that. Um, and the, my takeaway from it and the thing that separates them, and this is where the toughness comes from, is a lot of people in the NBA, and we can start from the commission's office on down, a run away from tough conversations. And what we're talking about with like Spo and Jimmy Butler getting into it on the court, it's like, bring it on. Let's have the conversation. We're going we're to have the conversation. We're going to hash it out. We're going to shake hands afterwards and, and on to the next. And just that, that we, the way we do things is when we disagree, we have enough trust that we're, we're coming from a place of we just want to win. We're going to hash it out. We're going to move on. And this is not going to be, the conversation is not going to be fun. There's going to be yelling and screaming, maybe even some scratching and clawing. We're going to deal with it. We're going to move on. And that's, you know, that, I think that's that level of kind of brutal honesty and, and, and sort of productive confrontationalism. That's hard. That's a different kind of toughness. Because the level of security you have to have and the, the willingness to, frankly, the willingness to eat shit. When it's oh, we got a little freezing issue with Seth. Uh, I, I think what he's trying to say, I mean, obviously, is that when it gets tough and you have a culture to fall back on, it makes things easier. I mean, again, like your time in San Antonio, <laughs> like this is, it's similar, it, it's a similar situation where you have that organizational infrastructure right and we call it culture but it really is infrastructure it's this is the support system that holds this whole thing up and it's, jimmy butler fits in perfectly with that right and it's just kind of and it's finding the guys that fit that and sometimes those guys may not be extremely talented but look at what they've done 
and the guys they've turned around, the uh, turning Gabe Vincent into a playoff starter, you know, Caleb Martin, you know, has been phenomenal this playoffs. And, you know, I think there's an element to like, this is going to sound mean. And Seth has heard this from me before, but I think the Victor Oladipo injury and the, um, the, the Tyler hero injury has helped the heat because they have to play these guys. And these guys are proving that, Hey, we belong here. I think I thought Gala Barton should have played last season a lot more in the playoffs over Victor Oladipo. And now Spo has to in this case there. And I think that's like a big thing right there for them in this run and those things. But those guys were also ready for it and the heat expect them to be ready for them. And that's part of that culture stuff that they do. And everybody can get tired of the buzzwords or whatever. That's just real. And the teams with good culture, like you're telling me Denver doesn't have a good culture. They got fucking tired of bones Highland and punted him to the Clippers for nothing, you know? And I think that's like the, the, the idea that you're looking at from them is, you know, culture is a thing that can be set and can carry you a long way. And no shocker right now at granted, it's only been one game in that Eastern conference finals, but both those teams are up in the conference finals right now in their series. They have the best culture. I think I, I don't remember if this is a spoke quote or not, but if it's not, it should be. And it's a paraphrase anyway. It's like culture is not something you have. It's something you do. Right. And I think that that's, and I think that's what we're seeing. And I, by the way, great point by Mo on, 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 on Denver having that also, because like, um, I think Malone has a little bit of the same thing in the not afraid to have like among coaches who've been around a while, usually like the lighting your team up in the media is sort of, you know, a card you can only go to so many times and has a shelf life. He's a guy who does it a fair amount, but it never, he never seems like he loses the team. So obviously there's something going on there. There's enough trust that it's like, hey, if he's saying that, we probably deserve it. Yeah. Is, and and that's, that speaks well of, of them and him. Uh, game one. I mean, obviously game two is tonight. We're recording this Friday morning and game one. Jason Tatum down the stretch did not take a shot. Didn't take a single shot in the fourth quarter. I mean, is that kind of the biggest problem for Boston is just getting Jason Tatum more involved late? I mean, he did turn the ball over a bunch. It travels. It wasn't wasn't for a lack of trying that they didn't get the shot. He didn't get shots or whatnot. I think it comes down to just they don't know who they are offensively. And I say this all the time about their offense. It looks good when the shots are falling. But a lot of it is all one-on-one and things like that. In the first half, though, when they're playing faster and playing with more tempo, they look good and they get good shots out of that stuff. I think they need to play that way, and I think that's an important aspect for that for them. But at the end of the day, it's just like they need to toughen it up. They need kind of that tough juice that the 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 Heat have because they're just. I I picked the the heat in this series only based on toughness because I don't think Celtics are tough enough to go at the heat when things get down. They gave up 46 points in the third quarter, man. They weren't pissed. There wasn't a dude yelling at each other. Like they weren't screaming at each other. They weren't getting in each other's faces about what the fuck are we doing? Like there's a level of toughness there that I think needs to kind of step up there. I mean, they weren't even yelling at Joe Missoula. Like what are we doing here? You know, and that like, was going to be my next question, you know, is it, maybe is this where the difference in coaching style between Ime Odoka and, and Joe Mazzula, you know, might be the difference between this team being a conference finalist and, and a and a finals team? 
Yeah, I mean, Zula, I mean, excuse me, Yudoka was the toughest guy on that team last year, which is rare to say the coach is the toughest guy, but their toughness came from him. And I think that was an important aspect of it. And look, I don't think Joe's particularly a bad coach. I just don't think he's a good coach for this team. I think what they need and everything they have going forward, I think this is too early for him to to, to be in the head coaching position. I think he'll grow and learn, and, and, and we'll see how that develops. And we never talk about coaches developing, but I think this is something that we'll see from him maybe over the years. Or if this is who he is as a coach, he's never going to be that great of a coach. And I think we'll we'll figure it out over time. But I think they for sure miss Yudoka's toughness, and Joe just doesn't provide that. I, I think again, I want to refer to the the, the athletic uh, uh, profile on on Spo because they, they, he talks a little bit about. I'm actually I'm not sure if Spo talks about it or if he got it from uh, David Fisdale. But early in his coaching career, after the, uh, the 2011 Finals, he realized he had to get tougher, and part of the, that confrontationalism that we talked about was part of that. Um, Mo, you said something earlier about the Heat culture kind of being insane and i think there's a benefit here that ties into the structure of the playoffs and i think you we talked about the like boston's lack of time is it lack of toughness or is miami just better conditioned with the games every other day i think that's something that that so many of these games seem like they come down to two heavyweights in the 10th round have been slugging it out and whoever can have find the most legs to throw a couple more haymakers and with the with every, games every other and the level of intensity and, and effort being put forth, are the Heat just better situated to take care of that because of how crazy they are as an organization about fitness and conditioning? Well, I think that was the that was the theme during the bubble, right? Like the bubble was the Heat screaming, "Oh, we're built for this. This is right up our fucking alley." Like that was them. I think the I think that's why. And this is why I've kind of fallen off the Celtics quite a bit throughout these playoffs is that's why you don't go six games against the Hawks. That's why you don't go seven games against the Sixers. Like, yeah, fatigue's part of it for sure. They've played more games than the, than the heat at this point. Like the heat do have fresher legs, you know? And I think that's part of it. And that's the playoffs though. And again, it goes back to what I was screaming at LeBron. Yeah, it's tough. It's supposed to be tough. You, this is one you're supposed to dig here. And this is one you need to step up. If you're the Celtics, you want to be a finals team. You want to get back to the finals. You got a taste of it last year. And you kind of, you got to fucking go win now. And that's kind of the deal right there. It is tough. This shit isn't built for weak teams. Yeah. Uh, it's game two. So Boston is probably going to shoot 800% from three and win by about 30. Um, you guys got anything else uh, before we wrap up? All right. Well, that's going to do it for the show, folks. Thank you guys for listening. For Seth and Mo, I'm Dave DeFore, and this has been Nerder, she wrote, on the Athletic NBA Show.